Good morning. Welcome to the Church of Palms. My name is Fran Patterson, and I serve as one of the Stephen Minister leaders in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Fill us, gracious God, with a sense of your abiding presence. Awaken our spirits to realities unseen. Turn us from the dullness of our fear-filled grasping for security and help us to live with trust in you. Expand among us such mutual regard and encouragement as will build up community and lead us all of us to live in the light. May faith and love dominate all our relationships as we enter into the joy of serving. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Let us stand for the call to worship. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. And even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let us worship God.
Our God knows the state of the world and of our lives. God knows all our sins, and yet God offers us forgiveness and calls us to be a part of the healing and wholeness of the world he so loves. Let us pray our confession to that God together. God of life, grant us your forgiveness. We have been heedless in our thoughts, cruel in our words, shameful in our actions. We are indifferent to a world made sand by want and wastefulness. We pass by on the other side when we see our neighbor in need. We wander from the way that leads to peace in parts of our own pleasing. God of life, grant us your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him should have life and have it abundantly. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let us now affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As forgiven children of God, let us greet one another in Christ's name.
Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are so glad you are with us. Great to see more and more of our friends who have migrated south with the birds. It's good to have you here, and uh, we're always delighted when you're back, and we are grateful always to be gathered up as the family of God to praise God, to discover what God's mission is for our lives as we seek to serve the world. So we hope that you'll find that to be the case as you join us in worship. We hope that you'll fill out the friendship pads in the pews and pass those to your neighbor. And uh, note those folks that uh, you may not yet have had the chance to meet and meet them afterwards. We have uh, lots and lots of things happening in our life as always and the bulletin is full of them and we invite you to take careful note of all the opportunities that you perhaps might want to be a part of in our life here at Church of the Palms. We celebrate some things. Yes, uh, last week we had a wonderful Christmas bazaar put on by our Presbyterian women in which we were able to support uh, missionaries across the world including the Iraqi uh, Relief Fund and we were very delighted in receiving up to $2,600 through that. So that was uh, a great, great news and great uh, encouragement to those who are involved in those missions. We uh, had on Friday night the first uh, concert of our concert series, a wonderful jazz concert here, and it was everybody that was here was just delighted with it. We had a wonderful crowd, and we encourage you to keep that in mind as we uh, continue to unfold these concerts before you. Our Messiah concert is coming up in, sept in September, right? <laughs> in December, the first uh, Saturday of December, so we invite you to take a note of that, and tickets are on sale already for $20 for the uh, performance and $10, $15 for the dress rehearsal, and not $10 as, as mentioned in your bulletin, so you can get those at the church office. And then uh, yesterday, we had 20 of our youth, along with some of our Buildings and Grounds crew, uh, spreading mulch everywhere. 270 bags of mulch were spread around our uh, campus yesterday by our youth primarily. And so when you see one of our students, give them a yay, glad it was you and not me. No, just you know, <laughs> tell them thanks for uh, taking that time and effort in the midst of their retreat to perform some service for our church. We look forward to our Thanksgiving Eve service in uh, just a week and a half here at uh, Church of the Palms as we share our worship with Temple Sinai, a great highlight of our church year. And then, yes, Advent is only just a couple of weeks away, so we encourage you to pick up an Advent planner on your way out the door to learn about all the many opportunities that we have during the Advent season. Come underneath the tree, and you'll see the angel tree there, and that will be an opportunity for you to serve an individual or family that is in need during this uh, Christmas time. And also, we can use your encouragement and support for our decorating of our sanctuary. If you have the spiritual gift of sanctuary decorating or if you just know how to get on a ladder or help out with putting some bunting on or whatever, please uh, let us know and sign up uh, in the church office. Then uh, also lastly, we have uh, to look forward to next week, the offering for our food pantry. And our food pantry is just one of the extraordinary ministries we have here at Church of the Palms. 20,000 people are served by the food pantry during the course of a year. That means 12 people per hour that our food pantry is open, come and receive food from our, uh, our, our bank here at Church of the Palms. And this is a fully funded 
uh, supported effort of Church of the Palms. There is no overhead. Every dollar that you give goes toward the purchase of food so that we can feed hungry people throughout our community. We would love for you to be thinking about that. We're receiving an offering next week. There's a food pantry offering envelope in your pew. We invite you to grab one of those, take it home with you, pray about it, wonder about how perhaps God would move you to support this ministry. Absolutely no overhead. We would just love for you to help us out with this very important part of our church's life. So take an envelope home with you uh, this week. And then lastly, we want to call to your attention that B. Kelly passed away this week, Patty Kelly's mother, and we have services for her at one o'clock on Saturday, this coming Saturday in the chapel. Now I would like to invite our newest members to come forward to be received into the life of our church. Come on up here, right front and center, sorry. You get the spotlight. <coughs> we are grateful to have our newest members before us today, and uh, you'll see them and the pictures that you see in the bulletin insert, but you don't have to look at the pictures because you can look at the people right now. <laughs> and uh, we are glad to have Charles and Melanie Wright and their two children with us today as well as Jacqueline Ursitti, who is uh, also joining our church, and the sergeants are joining over in the garden uh, this morning. We're glad that you're with. Welcome them into our life here. <laughs> and I invite you to come and turn toward me, and uh, I know that's a hard thing to do, but <laughs> it's good to have Sam and Camille here. You can support your parents as they respond to these questions as you become the newest members of our church. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. Do you trust in him? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? And will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way, and will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? By your answering those questions in public, you give your public witness to joining our mission to equip disciples for the service of Christ. And we are glad that you are joining with us as we carry out that mission. We hope that you will find this to be a family of faith that encourages you and inspires you to do the things that God would have you to do to share his love with the world. And so to that end, let me pray for you. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the good news of our life in Christ, and we thank you, O oh Lord, that you have welcomed us into the family of faith, and especially these three as they join this church and as they find themselves working alongside of us, shoulder to shoulder in this mission, we pray that you will encourage them, inspire them, fill them with your Holy Spirit, and allow them to use their gifts for the glory of God. We thank you for this purpose that you give us in this life and for this opportunity to walk the path that you have laid before us, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome these folks again. We have been talking about God's story in our church's life and how God has shown up in each of our lives in various ways. And I'd like to invite Andrea Jackson to come forward to share a little part of her story. This is part of the tradition that we're beginning here to give people an opportunity to share a little bit about their life and how God has been at work. So welcome, Andrea. 
Good morning. I was fortunate enough as a child to be raised by parents of faith who believed in the importance of church and family. Although there were ups and downs within that family unit and ultimately even a divorce, church remained constant for me. I would attend with my mother and stepfather and also with my father and stepmother. When I went to college, I didn't necessarily keep that practice up, but my servant heart remained and I did lots of volunteer work. And I always went to church when I was home. My husband and I were married in the church, but didn't really plug back in on a regular basis until we were expecting our first child. We then jumped back in and even helped facilitate Sunday school classes for new parents. Both our children were raised in the church and each involved in their own ways. When we hit a rough patch in our marriage, we would still connect each weekend at church with the children. And during that time, when I was feeling most alone and desperate, I turned to our minister for guidance. We have now been married almost 30 years, and I often wonder how things would have turned out if we had not had church in our lives. All that sounds fairly normal, and from the outside it appears that I had a strong foundation built on faith. But it wasn't until 2009, when I was 46 years old, that I had my first true glimpse of what church and faith really meant. It was that year that I took my first adult mission trip. My eyes were opened unlike never before as to what God is truly capable of and what it really means to walk in faith. By stripping away all the outside influences of my day-to-day -day responsibilities and immersing my every waking hour into devotions, prayer, and doing God's work, my life was forever changed. God literally needed to remove me from my surroundings and hit me over the head with a 24-7 immersion into the possibilities that are available when you rely on him. I then realized that although I had been going to church my whole life and doing all kinds of volunteer work, I had never fully understood that I was not really in control. It was a true spiritual rebirth. I used to use words like chance and luck. I now use expressions like God's hand at work or oh, what a blessing. I used to think I was this strong woman whose own individual hard work had overcome abuse, broken families, depression, and addiction. I now realize that God was by my side every moment. It was his strength and love that carried me forward. Now six years later, I am blessed to say that my faith has such a deeper meaning for me. Instead of just acting out the part I think I'm supposed to play, I rely on God in prayer to guide my actions. His word leads me and continually reminds me that I am never alone. I try to take more time to stop and thank God for all he has done in my life and to use me to spread his love. I am still a major work in progress, and sometimes it takes a brother or sister in Christ to remind me to come to God in prayer when I'm whining about a problem or thinking I have all the answers. I continue to go to Honduras to do mission work, but to be honest, I feel very selfish when I go. People always say how nice it is that you do mission work. The truth is, I am rewarded a thousand times over by how strongly I feel God's presence when I am there and how my heart is filled with love and joy. These opportunities to serve him are truly a blessing. I continue to pray that through God's grace and mercy, I will find this same peace in my day-to-day -day life, no matter where I am. Thank you for letting me share my story.
Thank you, Andrea. Let's take a moment in silence, just a few seconds, to quiet our hearts before we pray together. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are so blessed. You are greatly to be praised, not just for what you do for us, but for who and what you are. As the scripture says, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or even thank. You're always ready to listen when we call on you. You're always with us even when we're not aware of your presence. Our hearts beat about 130,000 beats per day and every beat is by your grace and with your permission. How wonderful it is to be one of your own and to be a part of your eternal plan. And yet, Father, sometimes it is difficult for us to transfer these praises and beliefs into real life. As Steve will speak to us in a moment to step into the picture. Sometimes without thinking, we create a separation between spiritual truth and our daily lives and responsibilities. We are meant to live out our faith in the trenches and the routines of life and to take your call out of mothballs and put it to work. We are meant to hear, then do the word, not only in church, but wherever we are and whatever we're doing in life. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to that end. We thank you for the many answers to prayer we've already received and in our congregation, the gift of a long life with which you have blessed so many. We thank you for the chance to celebrate with fellow Christians their achievements in the Lord and the new adventures that we're beginning to commit together. We thank you for the faithfulness of our family and friends and for the support of others in trial and for those who extend themselves to help others who offer friendship and who speak words of wisdom. This is so important, Lord, for many of us continue to have needs, burdens that weigh us down, hurts that need your strength and aid, losses of family and members which we suffered this week, finances to work through, health to mend, relationships to heal. All of us have qualities and habits and sins and weaknesses that we'd love to get rid of, but they seem to hang on and to grow in you means to change, and change often comes a hard way. We wish we could stamp our fingers and be fixed forever. So we deposit them at your feet, knowing that you want to help us bear these burdens. We pray you'll change situations where appropriate. Help us to accept situations that you are unwilling to change. In the midst of this, give us your direction and your spirit's power. Bind up the hearts who mourn today. Capture all of us with your grace and, and drive out fears. We pray you'll give us confidence in your abiding care so that we can live boldly and serve freely. As a church family, sometimes it's hard for us to feel that our voice is not heard. We feel our opinion doesn't account or we can't understand how people can see things differently than we do. Rather than be frustrated, help us to look not only on our own mind, but also on those who, of others. 
Help us to stop thinking so much about what bothers us and instead ask what is in the best interest of your kingdom and your church. Help us to transcend our strong feelings about issues and invest ourselves in growing in love for you and for others. Now, as Pastor Steve speaks to us, give us a breath of fresh air. The breeze of your spirit, give us a spiritual lift to send us out with enthusiasm to serve you. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now we come to give our offerings and ask the ushers to come forward. Can you feel it when you move to help a friend? Can you 
music of your heart. Let the celebration start and never for your wonderful, bountiful gifts to us. You've welcomed us into your family. You've given us grace to live our lives. Now we give back to you to the best of our ability and we do it graciously and we do it with praise. And we thank you for this opportunity to give in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. And now we're gonna ask all the children to come forward and to join Lori. Thank you. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, Sam, will you do me a favor? Will you hang on to that for me and carry it up for me? Thank you. So nice. So we are continuing our journey through God's story. And last week, we started talking about a prophet and I'm going to test you here. Do you remember that a prophet communicates for someone? Who does a prophet communicate for? Jenny, come on up. God. God, that he communicates for God. Well, today we're going to talk about the prophet Isaiah. And here's what's going on. King Hezekiah is getting attacked by Assyrians. What do you think they might use to attack back in Bible day? What kind of weapons do you think they might use? What do you think? Swords? Swords, right, like swords or spears. That's exactly right. So they would use, Addie, did you think of something else? Yeah. Slingshots. Slingshots, absolutely. Our buddy David used slingshots, didn't he? So that's what they were getting attacked by. And King Hezekiah was kind of worried because they sent a messenger and they said, Hey, King, you might as well give up. Don't trust in your God because he's not going to save you. We are going to annihilate you. So King Hezekiah goes, wow, I trust in God, but I don't know what to do. So he went to Isaiah, and he said to the prophet Isaiah, what do you think God intends for this day? And you know what the prophet said? 
God intends this day for there to be peace. But it's even better than that. Not just this day. God intends one day for there to be peace everywhere. In fact, this is what it says. It says, we will hammer swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. What are swords used for? What do you think, Ryan? For fighting. What else are they used for? You got something, Sam? Um, sharpening. Well, they're really sharp, and so you know what you could do with them? Shish kebab a person, right? They're used for, like, killing and destruction. Now, I don't think we have any farmers here, but what do you imagine a plow might be used for? Does anyone know? Oh, Kate, do you have an idea? Hay. For hay? For, like, growing wheat and... Yeah, I'm trying. Come here. Thank you. To like plow the dirt. Oh yeah, to plow the dirt. So plowshares, plows are for building up, for creating life. Swords are for beating down and for killing. God doesn't want the beating down and the killing. And I brought something to show you because remember the prophet Isaiah said you should trust in God. So what is this, <gasps> Sydney? Um, money. It's money. It's like a blown-up version of a big dollar bill, right? And can anyone read? Sophie, can you read what that says right there? In God we trust. In God we trust. But there was something else on here. There's this bird, this eagle. Can you see it right there? I kind of blew it up. In one of his talons over here, see what he's holding? It's kind of hard to tell, but it's a whole group of arrows. And then in his other talon, there's something else. Can you see what he's got there? It's a branch. It's an olive branch, which for us means peace. Now, which way is that eagle facing? Is he facing the branch or is he facing the arrows? He's facing the branch right there. So here's what they say. The, the United States seal says that we want peace. We're turning towards peace, but we're hanging onto our arrows just in case. Well, guess what? God wants there to be only peace, only goodness, only kindness, only love. No more arrows, no more pain, no more suffering. That's what the prophet Isaiah told us that we get to hope for. And that's the kind of God we get to trust in. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for preparing a place for us that is full of peace. In the meantime, Please help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be kind and loving so that we can experience some of that peace as we get ready for that great day when there's only peace and love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
may be seated. Another reminder about our uh, giving opportunities here at Church of the Palms. We are having our stewardship season uh, in the beginning of next year in January and February to welcome all people into that opportunity, especially being a seasonal church as we are. Some of you have asked if you can pledge now for next year, and of course you can. We never turn down a pledge card. Um, and if you so desire to get one, there are some available in the back and available also in the church office. But today we, and throughout the rest of this year, we focus on our giving for 2014 and continue to encourage you to remain faithful in our effort, not just to complete our budget, but also to put away some uh, badly needed capital reserves as we look forward to the future. So we're grateful for your participation. And also envelopes will be available at the end of the year. So you don't have to worry about not having envelopes for next year, even though we will be having our campaign in January and February. So those will be coming to your house uh, via the mail. So we are continuing in our story of God's great story. And it's always wonderful to have the children's moment before the sermon, because um, you hear a better version of the story than I could ever give you. So <laughs> that's a wonderful thing. But we do find ourselves in the midst of God's uh, story in the season of the prophets, Israel's great prophets, those who speak the voice of God to the people of God. And we find ourselves uh, looking at the prophet Isaiah today and today, this morning, focusing on chapter two, verses two through four. Hear the word of God. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, O Lord, you have sought to make peace with us through your son, Jesus. You have reconciled us to our Father in heaven. We are grateful, O Lord, that you give to us now the ministry of reconciliation and pray that we would hear these words to come only as they amplify the word just read and the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. In the beginning of one of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, three children are in the room of a house, and on one of the walls of the room is a painting. 
It's the painting of a ship in full sail on the sea. It's one of those old Viking-type ships with a prow in the shape of a dragon's head, similar to what you see on the cover of your bulletin. Now you're all looking at the cover of your bulletin, so. <laughs> Two of the children recognized this ship as looking like the ships they had seen in Narnia. Now, Narnia is this other world, this other dimension, this parallel universe that the two children had visited before and longed someday to return to. And as they tried to explain this world to their uninitiated friend, all of a sudden they find themselves, the three of them, being drawn into the picture. What, what was once a bedroom with a, with a painting on the wall is now all of a sudden the deep swells of a sea and the three children are treading water beside the hull of this great ship. They're plucked from the sea by the crew and, and find themselves now on this adventurous journey of the ship called the Dawn Treader. Now, without getting too much into the story, the ship and its crew are on a mission to find some lost souls, and to find them, they must face into great dangers and fears. And, and the protagonist of the story, the most courageous of the crew, turns out to be not the captain of the ship, not the Prince of Narnia, but a little mouse named Reepicheep. Of all the crew, it is this little mouse who dares most to go where angels fear to tread. He's the one who keeps them on their mission. And what you discover is that this little mouse is himself living into his own picture. And the picture comes from a poem that was given him when he was young. And the poem suggests that he will find his, utter, his destiny in his sailing to the uttermost east. The poem paints for him a picture that he feels compelled to step into, and he does so by stepping on board this great ship and sailing east and pursuing the mission of seeking out these lost souls. There are in this world some captivating pictures that possess the power to lure us in. I wonder if we all don't have a picture, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, that we have throughout our life stepped into. Perhaps someone painted for us the picture of a certain career and we stepped into an attractive image, a seductive image of living a certain kind of life through this career. The McConnell family could be accused of this. Great-grandfather, grandfather, father, uncle, three brothers, all Presbyterian ministers. You think we stepped into a picture? <laughs> no regrets, but we stepped into a picture. For some, it's the family business. For some, it's the family profession, the family tradition. For some, it's stepping into a certain culture of people, a, a club, a fraternity, a sorority, even a college or university. We were drawn a picture of this culture of people, and we were struck by it, and we stepped into it, for better or for worse. For some, it's stepping into a certain ideology. We have been intrigued and compelled by a, a depiction, sometimes a caricature of a certain ideology, and we got swept into it sometimes without our really thinking of it. For example, we keep watching the same channel. We keep listening to the same station. A lot of really smart people got, became Nazis not long ago because they got swept into a picture without really thinking about it. 
One could say the same thing about terrorism or fanaticism today. Some get swept into the picture of of certain sports teams. I don't understand this, but some do. (laughs) But likely all of us have some sort of picture, some type of poem, some, some sort of framework that we have consciously or unconsciously stepped into, and that's made all the difference. Let's imagine this as Americans for a moment. As Americans, our 238-year history has been a history, many would say, of attempting to step into a poem, a poem that paints a picture. And the poem that paints a picture is the iambic pentameter of Thomas Jefferson's words at the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I bet we could all recite that poem. From the moment those words were penned and the moment they were joined by the signature of 56 founding fathers, Americans have been trying to step into that picture, the picture of equality, the picture of inalienable rights, the picture of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Every election we vote in, every debate we listen to, every political blog we forward to our friends is all about how do we live into that poem. The most remembered American speech was delivered by Abraham Lincoln when he traveled to a Union Cemetery in central Pennsylvania and said four score and seven years ago, Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to what? The proposition that all men are created equal. 650,000 people died trying to understand how to step into that poem. 21 short years later, Grover Cleveland dedicated at the mouth of the Hudson River the great Statue of Liberty, Lady Libertas, the Roman goddess of freedom who bears her torch and carries her tablet upon which is inscribed what? The date of Jefferson's poem, July 4, 1776. And at its base, the word of Emma Lazarus's poem, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And 79 years after that, an African-American Baptist preacher stood in front of the Lincoln Memorial at the feet of the great emancipator and in front of 250,000 marchers on Washington delivered perhaps the second most remembered speech in America in which he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. American history has been a history of trying to live into Jefferson's poem. Now there was another poem that Martin Luther King quoted in his famous speech that day, and it was a poem from the prophet of this day, the prophet this morning, Isaiah. King said, I have a dream 
that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Words straight out of Isaiah. King was quoting from the greatest poet of all. Find for me a poet who, is, who has produced a more hopeful, a more challenging, a more bracing picture of what the world can be than the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah stands in the great prophetic tradition of scripture in which the great poets of Israel, Micah and Malachi, Amos and Habakkuk, Jeremiah and Ezekiel drew for the people of God poetic pictures of the world that God wants us to step into. If asked, Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King would say that just about every word they wrote, every thought they thought, all could be traced back to those prophets. Isaiah perhaps on top of the list. When you read the prophets, it's like walking through this, this gallery of paintings painted by the voice of God, each showing the incredible images of what God wants the world to look like. Mingy last week told us about Micah's image of doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with our God. Amos tells us about justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like, to flow like an ever-flowing stream. Jeremiah looks forward to the day when the Lord will raise up for David a, a righteous branch who shall reign and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. And Malachi pictures the day of the Lord and the righteous one as a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And then there's Isaiah who dreams of the day when swords will be beaten to plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. When the wolf shall lay down with the lamb, the cow will graze with the bear, the lion shall eat straw like the oxen, and no one shall hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. It's God's great peaceable kingdom, not unlike the stained glass windows alongside of our sanctuary. The prophet surrounds us with these poetic pictures of the way the world is supposed to be. And every word, every verse, every stanza is an invitation for God's people to step into the picture. But therein lies the challenge, right? because there's a big part of me or a big part of you, I'm sure, that would be happy for those pictures to stay on the wall, to keep the poems at arm's length, to do our gallery walk and gaze and listen and admire from afar, but never to step too close. Kind of like walking through the Ringling Art Museum standing before this painting and that painting and saying, mm, interesting, beautiful, captivating, gorgeous, but never to think of stepping in, of entering, of taking on the story. But this is what our good friend Isaiah would have us do. His poems are poems to live into, verses not to admire, but to adhere beating our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, taking whatever weapons that are in my possession and letting them be melted down, beat by the blacksmith into something that will make for peace and for life. I don't know about you, but I've got an idea of what that might mean for me. Because Lord knows, I have my weapons. How about you? 
I got my words. I got those razor-sharp words that I can let shoot from my mouth and, and have most certainly with them sliced up opponents. Before I've stopped to think and pray, before I've taken those words to the blacksmith and had him bang them into something different, I have managed to let fire at will and let chips and humans fall. I've got my email. I can pound out a good cynical, mean-spirited email and hit that send button and never have to worry about the broken heart that receives it or the tear-filled eyes that try to read it. I've got my resentment. I've got my passive aggressiveness that can freeze people out. I've got this remarkable ability to withhold grace. I've got my indifference. I've got this remarkable ability to turn away. Ain't it a shame I say that children go hungry and teenagers are trafficked and homeless have no home and my next-door neighbor needs a friend? Ain't it a shame? Could you pass me the remote so I can watch my favorite team? We have this quiver of weapons. But the prophet answers us with this poem of hope. And he says, you know, it doesn't really have to be that way. You can step into this picture. You can lay down with the lion and the lamb. You can offer your weapons to the blacksmith. You can begin to build this world that God really wants built. Makes me think of the friend of mine who was subjected to my preaching for several years. And I choose carefully the word subjected because it was often a painful experience for my friend to hear such calls I sought to amplify from the biblical world. And he said to me about once a month as he walked out of church, you know, that's all well and good, Steve, but you know, I gotta go live in the real world. And I knew what he was saying. I knew, I think I understood what he was saying because those poems, those pictures of which I spoke, this biblical world, well, they were maybe for him pictures on the wall that had no movement, no invitation. And I guess that will be true for all of us if we don't try somehow to step toward them, to step into them, to hand over the sword, to hand over the spear to the blacksmith's anvil. Don't you hear the poem of the prophet from our friend across the state in Fort Lauderdale? Maybe you've been reading about Arnold Abbott, 90 years old, U.S. veteran, setting up his little feeding station for the homeless and hungry in Fort Lauderdale, though it is against the law. He keeps getting cited. He keeps getting notices to appear in court, but he's just taking the prophet Jesus seriously when he said, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. He doesn't just see the picture, he steps into it. Is there a greater joy than to peek into the food pantry at all those faithful volunteers packing bags and handing them to folks for whom life has dealt an unfair hand? 
Is there a greater joy than to glance in and see the scores of volunteers with children tutoring them in their subjects? Or to, is there a greater joy than to go over to Booker Elementary and see another group of volunteers encouraging many who get no encouragement? Is there a greater joy than to see a Habitat for Humanity house rise out of the ground to, to house a family? Is there a greater joy than to see two people who disagree strenuously but maintain for each other a strong affection? Is there a greater joy than to see that? Well, of course there is. Of course there is. And what could be greater than to gaze upon such beautiful pictures but to enter them?
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.